I want you to understand that Evergreen Chapel does uh, take seriously the call for gender roles in the church. But what I will say is this, that a church that is led by truly humble, sacrificial men will not want for women who are free to flourish, grow, thrive, and serve beautifully within that church. A church that is led by this type of man will not be full of women saying, they don't let me do anything. Women are to be just shut up and move on and women aren't allowed to be a part of anything. That's not led by godly men because that's not the instruction given to women. I've received a lot of wise counsel from gifted, wise, smart, thoughtful women. It doesn't say a woman can't have an important conversation with an elder or a pastor and give her opinion or give her insight into something. It doesn't say that the church should ignore the valuable input that women have and their insight into especially social and family issues. If you've ever dealt with that, you need a woman to, to peer into the family and to discern. It says that she's not to exercise authority over a man in the church. We don't want to spread that. to That just means women just nothing. They can't do anything. That is an oversimplification, and it's a, it's a false character that's been impl- um, implemented by many churches and has given a terrible name to this theological position. Women are meant to thrive and flourish and serve within the church under the protection and self-sacrificing leadership of godly, qualified men. Not men with just a lot of money. Not men just with community prestige. Men who are truly biblically qualified. And so that's why those two to go together. And we'll cover a little bit more on that as we go. As I said, that was my longest point. Number three. So number two, men must be qualified. Elders must be qualified. Number three, elder leadership offers stability. It offers stability. Now, you can go there if you want, but you don't have to. But in Acts chapter 2, we see this taking place. And we see this a lot in Acts, don't we? The church was about to explode there in Acts chapter 15. And the elders were sought. They were questioned. They were brought into the situation. And a beautiful, harmonious um, solution was created. The same thing sort of took place, but on a more theological level in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the first major event that happened to the church. Uh, The Spirit of God fell on the church and gave tongues of fire so that men were speaking the works of God in every language, so that people who were visiting could all hear God's works in their own language. And people said, these men are drunk. This is just foolishness. What's happening here? And Peter stood up, says with the 11 behind him, and he said, it's not as you say. It's not as you think. These guys are not drunk. What's happening here is a reflection of what has been promised in the prophet Joel. And then he teaches. And he instructs them about what's going on in the church. Now, the important thing to notice about that story, it's Acts, it's Acts chapter 2, 14 to 24, if you want to read it later. The important thing about that is that when the church stands up and when the church acts on behalf of God or teaches on behalf of God, there will be criticizers. There will be those who detract and, and critique and try to discredit the church. But then an elder stood up, not just one. They all stood up. They created a show of solidarity that what Peter's about to say is the truth that we have all accepted. In, in some old churches, you may remember um, seats being up on the stage behind the pulpit where elders would sit while the 
pastor or the teacher was teaching the people. And I love that. I love that because it's, it's saying what you're hearing from the guy who's talking is not just what he thought about this week. It's not just his own reflection, his own kind of ideas and initiatives and, oh, that might be interesting. The elders are sitting behind saying, we collectively agree on what's happening, on what's being taught. It offers stability. And so when someone comes and says, hey, I don't agree with what's going on in this church. I don't agree with the way you taught that. That's totally fine. But that way, it's not a one-on-one, you know, I don't like the way you think about that. But the teaching elder, the teaching pastor, is meant to be teaching in solidarity with the theological position of the church. The doctrinal unity is maintained even though it's only one mouth speaking. So it offers stability. It's hard to shift a church off of its center when you have a group of like-minded men who stand together maintaining and protecting the truth and refuting error, correcting error, contradicting error, pushing error out than it is if you only have one man. Because I will tell you, I have my own moments of doubt and weakness and feeling insecure about things and wondering, is this really, is this really what God has for his church? And I'll tell you what elders do. And I have a lot of good men that I talk to about, about my fears, about my weaknesses, about where and how I want to teach the church. I mean, you have no idea how many preachers are preaching at you right now through the input of other guys. It's stabilizing. It helps you look back at what has gone before you and look ahead with other churches and other leaders. Where are we going? Is this the the right direction? And so it offers stability. Elders offer stability is number three. Number four, elders oversee the, well-be- the well-being of individuals. Now, this comes from just about everywhere in Scripture, but John 21, Jesus says, we spoke on this last week. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Go take care of them. Your job, if you love Christ and if you're going to be a leader in the church, is to take care of the sheep. Hebrews chapter 13, I will read that because it's a... Beautiful description of how elders are to be seen because of what they do. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them because they're mean and they deserve your respect. No. Obey them and submit to them because for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Here again, we see that the elder is not the one who just takes control of things. Submit to your elders because they're in charge. Not what the author of Hebrews says. He says, submit to them because what they're doing is watching out for your soul. They're warning you. They're shaping you. They're helping you. They're steering you. They're doing it because they love you and because they love Christ. And this is what Christ has for you. Also in 1 Peter, I'm going to read that as well. I know it's somewhere in here. First Peter chapter five, listen to this. For I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. This is the charge to elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, not domineering over those in your charge, 
not lording it over them, not controlling them, not silencing them, pushing them off, not domineering, but being examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what elders are? I hope this is smashing some stereotypes that you might have had in your head. If you had a bad experience with church leadership or eldership, I hope you see that what scripture prescribes is loving, gentle, example-setting, caregiving shepherding of God's flock. Number five, elders build up the church through Bible teaching and refuting error. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.12, 1 Timothy 4.13, and 5.7-18. I don't have time to read all of those, but the New Testament unfolds this task as the, almost the definitive and primary job of an elder. It's the defining responsibility of an overseer to teach the Bible because the Bible is what directs our affairs. It's what shapes our hearts. It's what molds us into the Christians that Christ has made us and called us to be. It's the primary task of the elder, which means that they need to give the first priority to this in terms of their time and their resources. Teaching and leading in the scriptures um, is is of top priority. It's what Paul says to Timothy is his number one job. Now, not every single elder has to be um, a pulpit-slamming, Bible-thumping preacher. And I don't use Bible-thumping in a bad way, by the way. But it says that every elder must be able to teach. I don't know if we read that this morning, but he, might, he needs to be able to teach. Because if somebody comes to you, an elder in the church, and they have a spiritual problem or a question, you need to be able to say, okay, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, and I'm going to walk through this with you as somebody who presumably is a little bit more mature, a little bit more well-versed in the scriptures, a little more familiar with them. Not to prove that they're smarter or better than the sheep who's coming, but to say, I can help you. They must be able to teach. At least one elder, whoever it is, every single week must come fully prepared and ready to teach and preach and exhort from God's word. That's why in our services, we give primacy to the teaching of God's word um, f- for your information, and not as any mark of pride on myself um, at all, but I, I dedicate uh, between 8 and 12 hours to the preparation of a sermon every week. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more, depending on uh, God's grace in my life or whatever's going on. But that's, that's not as a compliment to myself, but it's to, for you to recognize that this is, the, this is primarily how I see God leading his church. It's through the proclamation of his word. And so if you do miss Sundays or whatever, that's not to make you feel guilty about that, but I would encourage you, subscribe to our podcast or listen online because there is an intentional, um, almost curriculum-like move through God's word to shepherd his people. It's not just what I thought on Saturday night, flipped my desk light on and said, well, what am I gonna say tomorrow? God is moving his church and building his church through the proclamation of his word. And if it's not me, it's gonna be somebody else. I'm not, respecting, I'm not saying respect my labor. I'm saying respect this desk. Respect the, word, the book that's on it because it is the guiding light of the church. It's the guiding light of the church. And so we need to dedicate ourselves and give freedom to those who do labor in the word. Number five, so that's number five. They need to teach and refute error. And I already said this, number six, I think I already covered this, but elders must be chosen carefully. And there's a specific passage that really drives this home. And it's also in 1 Timothy where Paul says to Timothy, 
You know, you're young, you're shy, you're a little bit scared. Don't freak out and don't quickly lay hands on people to lead. That's a temptation that I need to heed um, very carefully as a pastor. Do not quickly lay hands on people because you need help. I need help, you know, leading God's church. And I do, and I do have help. But especially locally, it says, sorry, in 522, in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. It needs to be done carefully, slowly, thoughtfully, prayerfully. So that's a very surface level look at what does the Bible say about elders. And I want to ask a question that you might be wondering in your head. Well, what is a pastor? What's an, that's all elders. What's a pastor? People generally call me pastor if they do. And I don't uh, ever expect people to use a title with my name. Please don't use a title when you address me. But generally, people think of me as a pastor at Evergreen. So what's an elder and how are those different? And I'll say this very quickly. An elder, pastor, and an overseer are all spoken of in the same passage describing the same person. It's all the same description of what a person is who is leading in the church. But I'll show you the differences. An elder, that's an office. That's an office-bearing title. That is, you are officially recognized and commissioned by the church to lead in an official capacity. It's the office of an elder. There are lay elders who work full-time jobs, and they devote themselves um, in, in the service of Christ to leading the church alongside with those who would be vocational elders or full-time elders who are paid by the church and employed to preach the word and to evangelize and do all those things. That's an elder. It's the office of elder. Then there's pastor. It's a different word. It's a different word in the Greek, but it's, it's the verb attached to the elder. The elder is an office. What's the elder supposed to do? The word pastor is to shepherd to shepherd. It's the verb of tending, caring for, leading, guiding. When Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He, he spoke of verbs. He spoke of the pastoral work that Peter was going to do. He didn't say, if you love me, then go become an elder. He said, if you love me, then take care of the sheep. Do the verb of serving. It's used only once as an actual office, the office of a pastor, but truly the office is spoken of as an elder. And so my role at the church, my primary job, the way I make a living is as an elder at Evergreen Chapel. While I'm here, I pastor the church. I tend to the flock and I pray by God's grace, I become much more gifted in that. Then you have overseer. What's an overseer? Well, it's the description of the responsibility of that person. It's the means by which one shepherds. It's to accept responsibility for. So a shepherd doesn't just say, well, blah, blah, I'm doing my best, but uh, you know, I don't really know what's going on. An overseer says, it's my responsibility to know where the people are and where they are going. And I accept responsibility for what happens in this church. I am overseeing its affairs. And so there's a, tr- there's a threefold 
description here of what a leader in the church is. I don't have time to do as much as I wanted to, to speak about the pastor, but I briefly want to say what a pastor is not. A pastor is not a prophet. A pastor is not a priest. Okay, a, a, a pastor is not an anointed one of God in and of himself. Um, I've spent time around churches whose government recognizes the pastor as being equivalent to the role of Moses in the Old Testament. In fact, I'll read a quote for you. As pastors, we need to be like Moses, in touch with Jesus and receiving his instruction and guidance. Quote again, we have the elders to pray with us and support us. In some models, the elders are just seen as the support team, the wingmen of the pastor. He's the real ministry man, and the elders are just there to give him lift, to make sure that his dreams come true in the church. It's a terrible understanding here of the role of the pastor elder. We have turned these somehow into separate offices, not recognizing that the elder is meant to shepherd by pastoring. I was texting a friend last night asking, do you think the role, do you think the title, Senior Pastor XYZ, is that a legitimate biblical title? I'm going to present to you that absolutely it's not, and I will never call myself, and, I, and nobody ever will in this church, a senior pastor. Because the, the church is led by a multitude, a group of gifted elders who are all responsible for pastoring. Um, this particular church government goes on to say that a good board of elders is one of your greatest assets you can have in your ministry, as if the board of elders is an asset to the pastor. According to Paul, the board of elders is an indispensable and integral item in church life. It's how the church operates. It's not, an, it's not a mere asset to a pastor that you could maybe do without if you're really gifted. The biblical model does not present elders as an asset or an assistant to the pastor, but as the definitive means of guidance and authority in the church. Why? This is what we need to get right. Because who is the better Moses? Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 3 teaches us that Christ has come to fulfill the office that Moses held in the Old Testament. To go to God on our behalf and make us acceptable to God. He came from heaven... As the word, as our communication with God. The pastor's role is not to go into some secret hideaway and be in touch with God in some way that normal believers are not able to do. The pastor must go into his study and read this book and make sure that the words in this book are clearly taught because Christ has spoken definitively. And so I just wanted to make that uh, clear as a church that that's where we stand, that I am not a prophet, I am not a priest, I am not your mediator. I'm a teacher by God's grace. I am one who opens the scriptures and helps you understand and obey them, I pray. But you all represent, as the scriptures say, a royal priesthood. You are the priesthood of believers. You are able to go to God on your own in his presence by the blood of Christ to hear from God so all of this begs a question. We're going to talk about this a lot more later. Um, who are the elders responsible for? So they're, they got to care for the sheep. Well, who, who are they supposed to take care of? Well, the obvious answer is the people in the church, of course. Um, I want to point out to you that our technological and cultural moment makes it very difficult to intuitively know who belongs to a church. 
Many of you here for the first time this morning. You may belong to other fantastic, wonderful churches, and, and I bless you in that. But what about those who are here? Do you belong? Are you just kind of along to see what's going on? Are you off on a distance? Do you, not, do you not want shepherding? Are you kind of doing your own thing right now? That's fair. That's okay. But in our cultural moment, it makes it very easy to be aloof from the church and yet be there all the time. How does an elder know how to care for sheep when it's very unclear who belongs and who does not yet want to belong and who's not there? And so this is why um, I think a responsible thing to do is to introduce membership. And we're going to be doing that at Evergreen Chapel. Now, people say, oh, eldership, that's so not biblical. There's nothing in Scripture that you know, describes membership in a church except for when the body of Christ is described as having many members. Okay, and so making a formal declaration to your church, to your leaders, makes it, and we're going to talk about this a lot more, but it makes it so that the elders can lead. It makes it so that elders know who you are and, and, and how to find you and what your needs are and what you're going through. And so at Evergreen, we are going to be introducing a, a formal membership process, and uh, I've created a document that I would love for you to take home. If in any way you consider Evergreen your home or any of your friends are thinking that, please take one of these home and read it over. I don't have time to talk about it today, but it's our view on what membership is and what it's going to look like. And it's exciting. It's exciting because it's a discipleship process. It allows us to do the things that we're not yet doing as a church way more effectively. And so I want to encourage you to take a look at that. When you become a member of a local church, now, we all become members of the universal church when we accept Christ. When we believe in him, you belong to the church, bar none, without reference to what you do with your time. But we are also called to make expression of our faith within a local church, a small C church, a local assembly, a bunch of people who actually get together. When you declare yourself as a member of the church, when you make that... um, formal in a way, you at once position yourself to enjoy the care, the shepherding, the oversight, the protection of the elders, and you also position yourself to be exhorted and corrected and shaped and sometimes buffered against for your good, for your sanctification, for your holiness, for your growth in Christ. And so not only does it assist elders in their calling, but it assists you in your growth in the Lord. Don't put your hand up, but how many would like a better relationship with the Lord? A stronger, okay, you can put your hand up if you want. A deeper love of Christ, a deeper maturity, a greater accountability with people, a more transparent life that is more surrendered to the purposes of Christ. If that is you, I hate to say it, but God has chosen the church to do that. There's not a separate program if you're an introvert. There's not a separate program if you don't like people or you don't like talking. The church is what God chose. And by God's grace, we want to love each other and all of our individual weirdness. I'm not denying that. Um, But that's okay. The church doesn't have to be everyone looking and talking the same way. It does have to be a group of people who love each other and who recognize the structures that God has put in place for our good. And so leaving this place this morning, um, I want you to think 
I'm going to pray for this church. I'm going to pray that God would raise up elders. 1 Timothy says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble thing. If it's in your heart to lead the church, to gain influence, to help others, to shepherd the flock, it's not wrong. I don't know if people have taught you in the church that it's wrong to want to lead. It's not. Paul says it's a noble thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's high standards, but if you want to get going on that, then God has a place for you. And so I want to encourage you, pray as to whether or not God may be calling you into that role, if this is your home. Pray for others. If you know that that's not you, pray for others in this church, um, that God would bring along elders or raise up elders from among us. Pray for the furtherance of his kingdom through this church. That's what I want you to go away from this place doing, is looking forward to what God is doing here and praying that he would bring it about. Uh, we have an exciting, and I'm going to just close in prayer, but we, I want to tell you that we have an exciting um, time ahead of us in God's word. We're out of the gospel of John now, and uh, we're going to do a small series on church life. This is number one in that series. We're going to talk about serving. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, we're going to be talking about church culture. How do we relate to each other? We're going to cover all of this in the next few weeks. We're also going to do a series on wisdom from the, from the Proverbs before this year is over. I can't wait for that. Um, we're going to be doing a small series on the early church, probably six weeks on what the early church did and how it went about its business. And uh, we're going to do a small series in, old, in the Old Testament um, before we come back to a more sustained and long series in the New Testament. But God is, it, it's kind of like trying to undo a, a fire hydrant very slowly because God has so much he wants to teach us. And so I want to encourage you to submit yourself to God's word and be prepared for what he might do in your life and where he might call you and how he might be um, drawing you into something new and deeper. And I'm just so excited about that. And so if God is moving in your heart in any way, don't let it be silent. Uh, reach out to somebody. Send an email to me or send an email to a friend or just grab somebody before our service is, is concluded, before you go home today and say, God is just, I don't know what this means. Can you pray with me? Can you help me figure out what God is um, leading me in or what, what this might, how this might fit in with what Tim was saying or what God's word is showing us. So let's not ignore what God is doing. And if you feel stirred, if you feel your heart beating fast, if you feel nervous in some way right now, uh, God may be edging you forward to something. Don't ignore that. He does do some crazy stuff and he might be doing it with you. Okay, it's not always for the person next to you. Sometimes God is talking right to you. And so I encourage you to listen. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a closing song about faith. And so let me pray.